celebrate the moms one more time. Give it up for all the moms. We love you guys. Wow. Wow. Hey, I, I want to let you know it's, it's not easy being a mom in the 21st century, is it? And, you know, I want to I say happy Mother's Day to you moms, but I also want to let you know this weekend we see you. Okay, we value you, and as a church, we want to come alongside and support you. And this weekend is a great weekend to do that. Um, I've been asking Christine Kane to come speak at CCV for a couple years now, and it just hasn't worked out, but this weekend is the weekend she's here. And if you don't know who Christine Kane is, you should. Um, she is an incredible, incredible person that God's using all across the globe to make a difference. She's a speaker, she's an author. Uh, her and her husband, Nick, who's here with her, they founded an anti-human trafficking uh, organization called the A21 Campaign. Um, she's, uh, yeah, it's really, really great. She's uh, written a dozen books. She has a podcast you can engage with as well as a, a weekly television program. But most importantly to me, she is a very humble person that is authentically allowing God to speak in her and through her. And we're gonna be blessed today. So would you help give a huge CCV welcome to Christine Kane. church. How you doing church? I am so fired up to be with you all today and um, I am here with the single most ravishing piece of masculine flesh on planet earth. If before you freak out, that's my husband of 27 years. And Nick, if you're here somewhere, can you stand up? That is my husband, everyone. And I think I may have a photo of him if we sent it. Um, he's, we've been married 27 years and we have two daughters, Catherine Bobby, who is 21, and Sophia Joyce, who is 17. Now, my husband is number 14 of 15 children. Y'all, every chick just crossed her legs in the room in this place. It's like, that was awesome. Um, yes, and anyway, they did not have, obviously, any television in that part of Australia. And so um, when my mother-in-law, she did not think you were a woman until you, like, popped out 10. So I would take my daughters, Catherine, Bobby, and Sophia to my mother-in-law's house, and I would say to my mother-in-law, you know, this is Catherine, Bobby, and she is my alpha, and this is Sophia Joyce, and this is the omega, and this is the beginning and the end of my childbearing years. And so I feel it appropriate that I'm here this Mother's Day. And, uh, you know, I want to just give a shout out to all, all, the, all the mothers uh, in the church. I've been wanting to come for so long because uh, this church, your reputation goes out before you. And I think leading up into the week that I was coming, I cannot tell you the number of messages or wherever I was, people would stop me in airports saying, you're coming to my church this weekend. I thought, does the whole of America come to this church? I don't know, but evidently it appears that way. We're going to turn to the gospel of Luke and we're going to look at a mother that may shock you all today. We're going to go to the gospel of Luke. Everyone say Luke. Sounds really American, Luke. <laughs> say it again, Luke. Everyone say Luke, mate. 
I'm going to teach you Australian right here. Uh, you sound very dignified um, in this place today. You know, we just had the coronation. This is how King Charles wishes he could speak English in the way that I am. You all have got, you can't say anything about this because you all threw the tea out in Boston and went, peace out, England. The rest of us are from the colonies. And so we are part of the Commonwealth. This is how we speak. And so we speak the Queen's English. We say, awesome. Everyone say, awesome. You sound very dignified. <laughs> One more time, awesome. Okay, now say it like an American. Sailor. <laughs> okay, I'm just... Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. This is the word of the Lord. The scripture says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there. For you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he told the disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, see there or see here. Don't follow or run after them. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, everyone say, but first. I love that, but first, but first. But first, it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. I am bet you are so glad you came to this Mother's Day service today. <laughs> Everyone is like, this was the one to bring mum to. This is it. I'm so glad. <laughs> on that day, a man on the housetop house whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. And and I tell my husband frequently, I am not going to be the one that's left behind, just putting it out there. So two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked him, he said to them, where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. And this is the word of the Lord. And everybody's not saying amen right now. It's <laughs> you're like, we came here for Mother's Day. We want a, a nice message. We are going to talk about a mother today, but this is one that's going to apply to all of us, of men in the house. This is as much for you as everyone. Of course, here, Jesus is having a discussion, a conversation about the end times. This is an eschatological discourse. This is what he's talking about the end and about the kingdom that has been realized in him coming already, but not fully realized because, of course, there's still pain and there's still suffering and there's still crime and there's still violence and there's still heartache in the world today. We know that things are not as they should be. And so we know the kingdom's not yet fully realized. Jesus is coming again. All things will be made new. There will be a day where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more disease, no more heartache, no more crime, no more violence, no more trafficking. And we long for that day. So Jesus in the midst of talking this, I mean, he's pulling it all out. There's Noah and the flood. There's Sodom and Gomorrah. And I mean, you're thinking, man, we have got floods and we've got fires. And Jesus is going on about the, the end times. And listen, I'm gonna be honest with you this Mother's Day. Most of what is being discussed here, I have not got a clue. 
I really don't understand that anybody that tells you they do is lying because I'm gonna save you hours on the rabbit trail of FaceTime right now. There are people losing their minds because if you look at the world around us, except for um, you know, Phoenix, the rest of the world, have you noticed that it's cray cray? I know here all things are normal, but the rest of the world is somewhat cray-cray. And you look around you and you go, seriously, there are like natural disasters and things are spiraling out of control and everything economically and politically and socially and morally and environmentally. It's just like cray-cray. And you read a text like this and you think, is this that? Because the world has lost its mind. And it's easy then to go down the Facebook rabbit trails and follow them down and and work out every conspiracy theory. But you know, this is what Jesus said about the whole deal. He goes, listen, when it comes to the end times, here is my entire theology on the end times. You ready? No one knows. It's gonna save you hours. You can go watch that Netflix series you were wanting to watch right now. It's not, I just set you free right there. That's not really what I'm here to talk about, but in the midst of this, eschatological discourse right here. Jesus drops in what appears to be almost three random words. I mean, this is the second shortest verse in the Bible. The shortest verse in the Bible is? You are a very well-taught church. This is fantastic. Pastor Ashley has done great. But the second shortest verse in the Bible is Luke 17, 32. And in the midst of discussing the end of the world as we know it, Jesus just sort of says like, remember Lot's wife. I'm like, okay, okay. Now, I've been doing chicks ministry for about 35 years. I've been to a lot of chicks conferences in my life. I've spoken about a lot of chicks in the Bible. I don't recollect ever hearing a message on Lot's wife, who incidentally we're about to find out was a mother. And I'm thinking in the midst of a discourse about the end times, Jesus is telling us to remember Lot's wife. And I would wonder whether in this time on the earth now, 2023, in a world that is spiraling out of control, economically, politically, socially, morally, environmentally, every sector of society, it's like we've got whiplash, whether this would be a good time to remember the one woman that Jesus told us to remember. You know, there are 170 women that are either mentioned or referenced to in the scripture, 170. But there is only one woman that Jesus ever tells us to remember, only one. And that's Lot's wife. Now listen, if I was Eve, I would be a little bit ticked off. (laughs) I'm like, what do you mean, remember Lot's wife? I'm like, I was first, I came out of a rib and I've been blamed for all the problems of humanity, for all of history. (laughs) Or, Or perhaps if you were, I don't know, if I was like Sarah, I'd be like, what do you mean, remember her? I popped out a kid without an epidural. I mean, seriously, I was 90. (laughs) I mean, can you even imagine like his mother? Like, what do you mean, remember Lot's wife? I birthed you in a stable. (laughs) But Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. And I mean, heck, this is a woman that appears on the pages of Scripture only quickly enough to disappear. We don't even know her name. I mean, this is not very PC in 2023. What's your name? Lot's wife. That's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it in our world today. So, of course, I go back into the Scripture looking at what's happening in our world today. I'm like, Jesus, why would you tell us to remember this one woman? Why is this the only woman in Scripture you told us to remember and you told us to remember her 
in the midst of a discussion about the world burning up and the world finishing it as we know it. So I go, I go back to Genesis. And of course, in Genesis 13, you know the scripture in Genesis 13, verses 12 to 13, it says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So here we start to see how Lot ended up in Sodom. Now, of course, in Genesis 18, God decides I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their great iniquity, their great sin. And normally, it doesn't matter where you go in the world if you kind of talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. There, there is a, a thing around that that's wrapped around that that's normally wrapped around sexual immorality and, and you know, um, normally the sexual sin that's associated with, with Sodom and Gomorrah is the one that we're not committing today. And so it's like, you know, it just is whatever people go, they instantly talk about immorality. And that is a part of it, there's no doubt. But it does say in Ezekiel, 1649, let's look at what the scripture says was the sin of Sodom. Now, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, plenty of food, and comfortable security, but didn't support the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable acts before me. So I removed them when I saw this. So it seems like what is problematic to God is not only unrighteousness in terms of our personal lives, but pride, arrogance, comfortable security, and forgetting the least of these, the poor, the marginalized, the needy. These things matter to God, and God's like, okay, I'm done with it. And there has been a shaking on the earth, there is no doubt about it, both in the church and in the world. And I think the Lord's like, you know what? Things, how they used to be, that is being shaken. The, the writer to the Hebrew says, only those things that can be shaken will be shaken so that those things that cannot be shaken shall remain. And the shaking that has been happening has been for our good and for His glory. God doesn't want a, a church just full of comfortable ease and, and pride and, and just this sense of it's all about us for and no more. He wants us to be a church that care about the poor and the marginalized and the needy and to go out and to reach the lost and to do what we've been put on the earth to do. We have called to be salt and light, to make a difference in our generation. It's never been about us for and no more. It's about a lost and a broken world that God has sent us to. So the Lord's like, I'm done. And it's burning to the ground. Now, He sends two angels of the Lord to rescue Lot and his wife and their two daughters. The angel of the Lord literally goes into a burning city and grabs them by the hand. I mean, they were literally touched by an angel. He, he grabs them by the hand and he leads them out. And in Genesis 19, 17, it says, and as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. Now, one would think, if an angel of the Lord is leading you out of something that is burning down and you're only given one instruction, do not look back, one would think that would be the one thing you would do. Genesis 19, 26, this is all we know about Lot's wife. It says, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. 
this Mother's Day to everybody. I want to talk about the power of not looking back. The power of moving on and up and into the future that God has for us. Lot's wife did the one thing that she was instructed not to do. She was told, do not look back. Now, if you go on and read the rest of this chapter and the next chapter, it is deeply painful and deeply problematic because what happened, because she looked back, she got stuck and calcified and became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife got stuck in a place that she should have only been passing through. God had provision for her in the future. Her purpose was in the future. His promise was in the future. He had rescued her out of what was burning and said, go into the future that I have for you. But she looked back and in the scripture, that looking back, the inference is that she looked back with longing, with a desire to want to Go back. You know, we've had a big three, a big seven, but particularly a big three years on the earth. And life, especially post-2020, the tectonic plates of the earth shifted, not literally. But every, the world as we knew it changed. And we're looking at the moment that we're living in and you're like, man, everything, everything's changed. And Nick and I have 19 A21 offices in 15 countries, so we basically just do laps of the globe. That's what we do. And we just came back from a, a massive trip around the world to visit all of our offices and there's not a place that I went across the breadth of the church around the globe where I didn't hear variations of the phrase, Christine, I just wish things would go back to normal. Christine, I just, man, everything's just changed so much. I just wish things would go back to normal. But the fact is there is no going back. And, and you know, whether I'm talking to people in church life or I'm talking to people in the business sector or I'm just talking to people generally in society, they would, they would say, you know, well, before COVID, if you want to talk about it, let, let me tell you about our numbers before COVID. Let me tell you about our business before COVID. There was a time that the earth was divided. Time was divided. B.C. A.D. It was like before Christ and O'Domini. But nowadays, B.C. seems to stand for like before COVID. I'm like, what do you mean? Did, did, what do you mean? I thought it was before Christ. When he came, everything changed. The scripture says in the book of 1 Corinthians that all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus, yes and amen. So I know everything's changed, but the purpose of God has not changed. The promise of God has not changed. The provision of God has not changed because all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus. Yes and amen. So although everything's changed, nothing's changed because Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, both firm and secure. Our hope is Jesus. But you see, Lot's wife prioritised her past over her future. And so many of us are stuck in this moment, stuck with a sense of longing, stuck with a deep desire to go back. But until our commitment to the future outweighs our loyalty to the past, we're going to stay stuck. You know, a lot of us have faced so much discouragement, so much disappointment, so much pain and loss over the last few years. There's no doubt about it. But the fact is that Jesus is with us in our present and He's taking us to our future. And there comes a time where you have to make a decision that I, I am not going to look back with a desire 
to long for what was back there. Some of us are, are like the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 where they said to Jesus was with them. He was actually with them, but they didn't know he had been resurrected. And so they were going back to Emmaus because when you're disappointed with God, oftentimes you'll go back to the very thing you came from. And so they were going back to Emmaus. Jesus is with them. They don't even recognize him. And they said, but we had hoped, we were hoping he was the one. I wonder if the last few years have been a time where there has been really an unveiling of our misplaced hopes. Where there has been a revealing that perhaps we were hoping that person was gonna come through. We were hoping they weren't gonna leave. We were hoping that business was gonna make it. We were hoping that child would have come back to God by now. We were hoping that marriage was gonna make it. I had hoped and we are stuck in a moment of disappointment and we are stuck in discouragement and we are stuck in disillusionment and we're stuck. Or some of us, something happened to us or we did something and we are still stuck and we're calcified and we've become like a pillar of salt and we're just in a holding pattern until we die because we've never moved beyond the moment. You know, I have every reason on earth to not be doing what I'm doing today, to be stuck. If I didn't remember Lot's wife, there is no way there would be an A21 or a Propel Women. I wouldn't be a wife today. I wouldn't be a mother today. You know, I was raised in Sydney, Australia, the daughter of Greek immigrants. I was you know, raised in typical sort of immigrant housing in, 19, in the 1960s. Some of you I know don't even know there's human beings alive that were from the last century, but I'm one of them. And I grew up, if you've seen my big fat Greek wedding, that is my big fat Greek life, just so that you know. And incidentally, my big fat Greek wedding three is coming out in September. I cannot wait. But anyway, so... <laughs> You know, I, I grew up in the poorest zip code in my state, the third poorest zip code in Australia, in government-assisted immigrant housing. I was sexually abused for over a decade. My immediate family was incredible, but my parents allowed people to come into my home who they should have been able to trust, but certainly proved untrustworthy. And for many years... I was used for a purpose for which I was never designed. That's what abuse means. And as you could imagine, that kind of repeated abuse over so long, I was a young woman that was full of so much shame, so much guilt, so much anger, so much bitterness, so much unforgiveness. And then about two weeks before my 33rd birthday, I got a phone call from my brother, George, who was two years older than me. And when you're Greek, all your brothers are like George or Nico or Spiro or Con, you know. So it's just like what it is. So George calls me and he said, Christine, I've just got a letter from the government and it says that I've been adopted. And I started laughing because, you know, when you're growing up, you always say to your siblings, like, we're not related, you're adopted. You know, when you say that, they're all like, well, I, um, but suddenly I got really defensive. I said, George, of course they've made a mistake. They've sent this letter to the wrong person. You, you need to send it back in and call them and tell them they've made a mistake. Well, he calls back about 10 minutes later to me and he's bawling his eyes out. He goes, Chris, it's true. 
They told me the name of my biological mother, my biological father. They, they have a whole file on my life. They told me when I was immunized, when I went to school. And he said, it's true, I'm gonna go home and confront mum. I'm thinking, okay. Um, I don't know if you know anything about Greeks, but Greeks are very volatile. They like act first and think later. So I'm thinking anything could happen right now. My dad had died when I was 19. My mother at the time was 61. George was gonna go and confront mum. I'm thinking this could blow up and go south really quick. So George, go, I, George goes to my mum's house. I get in my car and I get into my mum's house and I arrive and I walk into the living room at the moment that George is giving this piece of paper to my mother. And I literally see my whole, my mother's face change. And she just starts crying. And she goes, George, I am so sorry. All of the adoption laws in the 1960s, she goes, they were all closed adoptions at the time. And I never thought you would find out. And just before your father died, one of the last things that I ever promised him was that I wouldn't tell you. And so I tore up all of the paperwork. And I felt like I was watching a movie. And I mean, you could imagine, I mean, this is a, a moment. My, my mother's crying, my brother's crying, the dog's crying. I mean, I don't know. You're like, it's a big fat Greek moment. It's all happening. I don't know what to do. So I'm thinking, okay, for a Greek, food is the answer to life, the universe and everything. I thought, I'm going to the kitchen to make baklava. I'm going to make baklava and moussaka. And so I go in. Now, about 15, maybe 20 minutes later, my mother walks in. And in Greek, we, Greek is my first language. In Greek, she says to me, Christina, since we're telling the truth today, do you want to know the whole truth? This is two weeks out from my 33rd birthday. I don't even really know why I said this at first. I turned around and I went, I've been adopted too. And my mom's just like bawling and she's nodding her head. Church, I was stunned, absolutely stunned. I mean, I didn't even say anything for the first few minutes, which like in and of itself is a miracle greater than the resurrection of Jesus right there. So I didn't say anything. But then the very next thing, well, the first thing I said when I spoke, I went, am I still Greek? <laughs> and I thought, I was called a lot of names at school for a lot of years. I wanted to know there was a reason for all of that persecution. But after I said that, the very next thing that came out of my mouth, I went, oh, well, mum, before I was formed in my mother's womb, whosever womb that was, he knew me. He knitted together my innermost parts. He fashioned all of my days before as yet there was one of them. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And church, that day, every fact that I thought to be true about my life changed. What my name was, what my history was, every fact changed. And to this day, I still do not know the facts surrounding my conception. I don't know if I am the result of a one night stand or, or an ongoing adulterous affair or, or even a rape. But although I do not know the facts, there is a force on the planet much higher than the facts and it's called the truth of the Word of God. And Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 does not say that I am the workmanship of, an, of a rape or it doesn't say that I am the workmanship of an adulterous affair. It says that we are God's workmanship and that we've been recreated in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So before I ever 
got into my mother's womb. God knew me. He created me on purpose, with a purpose, but when I was still in my mother's womb, the enemy sent an assignment to still kill and destroy my life. When that didn't work, when I was three years old, he sent another assignment into my life. And at every point, he tried to thwart the purpose of God for my life. And I could have got stuck there. I could have got stuck in the abandonment. I could have got stuck in the adoption. I could have got stuck in the abuse. I could have got stuck in the shame. I could have got stuck in the unforgiveness. I could have got stuck in the bitterness. I could have got stuck in the brokenness, but I made a decision to make what Jesus did for me bigger than what they did to me. And because of that, I could walk in resurrection power and life. There is redemption in the blood of Jesus. He still sets people free and gives you a life beyond your past. And wouldn't it be just like God to take an unnamed, unwanted, if you see my birth certificate, it says child's name, unnamed, number 2508 of 1966. It would be just like God to take an unnamed, unwanted, abused, adopted chick from the back of Sydney, Australia and say, I'm not only going to rescue you, but then I'm going to use your life to open prison doors for those that are still bound and see them rescued all around the world. Can I just tell you, church, every time we put a trafficker in jail or every time we see a a woman or a man or a child rescued out of labor trafficking or sex trafficking or any type of trafficking, I think, devil, you could stick that in your pipe and smoke it. I bet you wish that you left me alone. I bet that you wish that you never touched me. I feel like Joseph before his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when he said, you meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for this very purpose to save many people alive. Let me just say, your history does not need to define your destiny. And some of you have gotten stuck in what they said about you or what they did to you or what happened to you. But Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth died on a cross, was buried and rose again from the dead so that we don't have to get stuck in our past. We can have a future. We can fulfill our purpose and we can fulfill our destiny in and through a resurrected life that we find in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I still believe the gospel is the best news on the earth because it sets people free. It sets people free. So I don't know where you might have got stuck and where you might need to remember Lot's wife. She got stuck in a moment that she should have just been passing through. And we have to be very careful in our culture, in this cultural moment, to not get stuck in what happened to us or what they said about us or the failure that we've made or the mistake that has happened. But to understand that when Jesus shed his blood at Calvary and when he rose again from the dead, that there's still power in the blood of Jesus. There is resurrection power that is available to any follower of Jesus Christ that you don't need to be defined by that. And this might be a moment in your life to say, I wanna move past my past. I thank God for church and Christian community and great Christian counseling because it has helped to set me free and to still fulfill the purpose that God has for me. But the truth is that where you place your ultimate hope will determine 
whether you keep moving forward into the plans and the purposes of God. I'm not denying the reality of a world that's lost its mind. The pain, the heartache, the disappointment, the loss, the grief, the division, the chaos, especially over the last few years, I haven't seen it like that in my lifetime. But I am saying there's still a better story because we have a Saviour who still saves, who still delivers, who still heals, who still restores, who can still give you a life beyond your past, but you have to make a decision that you're not gonna get stuck. And I wonder whether today on this Mother's Day, this would be an awesome time to remember Lot's wife. Let me leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter three. He says that this one thing I do, forgetting those things. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own yet, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love this. He says, forgetting. I wonder this Mother's Day whether this would be a good time as we remember the good things, but maybe there's some stuff that we need to forget and there's some forgetting we need to do. Nick and I always say in our family, we keep very short accounts. We've got a really good forgettery. It means you have a lot more peace and harmony in your home. Some of us need to get a better forgettery, especially when you're a chick, because we can tell you when you said it, your tone of voice, where you were standing, exactly what you were wearing and how that happened. So maybe now would be a good time to get a forgettery happening. <laughs> I also want to tell you that the blood of Jesus does not give us amnesia. When I'm talking about forgetting, I'm never talking about denying, diminishing, dismissing. I was abused. Nothing is going to change that. But listen, it's not an open, gaping wound anymore that's spreading toxicity everywhere that I go. I've allowed the healer to bring healing. So yes, is there still a scar? There always will be. But this scar now testifies to the grace of a mighty God that brings healing and redemption in our life. That's the difference. So forgetting those things that lie behind. He says, and straining. Church, we've forgotten to strain. Some of us have got to get those muscles back to want to move forward. I mean, listen, half of you are still wearing sweats. You're not into hard pants yet. Still kind of doing Zooms with sweats and a nice shirt. We've gotten out of the habit of straining. Got to get that faith muscle back, church, where we're believing God and we're pressing on to lay a hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of us. We are on mission. We're here on earth. We're only here for a second. We're but a vapor. Let's make this second count. Let's reach as many people as possible. There is such a spirit of complacency and pulling back in the air. And it's like, no, no, no. We've got to strain again. It's like when you get back into the gym and you lift those weights and it's painful. Some of us need to strain those spiritual muscles, prayer, fasting, Serving, sowing, believing God. We're going to strain again and pressing. I press on towards the goal. Some of us, if I could draw a picture today, it's like you're, you're standing in front of an elevator. 
and like you're so frustrated because that elevator hasn't come yet. And the Lord's like, press the button. And some of us need to get a little bit of Holy Ghost tenacity again and some strength and start pressing and start pressing in prayer again and believing for those children, pressing in prayer again and believing God for His promises and not just saying this is how it will always be, but we're gonna press on to lay a hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus laid a hold of us. You know what? We are finite, but our God is infinite. We might be small, but our God is large. We might be weak, but our God is strong. And in our Christ, there is nothing that we cannot do. So church, let us believe God again. Let us stop looking back and let us press on to lay a hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of us in Jesus' Name. In Jesus' Name. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank You for this unbelievably incredible church that You have been so gracious to. Father, I can just sense your love for the people of this house. But Lord, the greatest days of this church are still ahead and not behind. So I pray for every member, every person, every visitor, that whoever might be stuck in whatever place in this moment, that by the power of your Spirit, you would give them strength and courage to get unstuck and start moving forward. Not get stuck in the disappointment or the discouragement or focusing on what hasn't happened, but focusing on who you are and what you have and what you're drawing us to. Jesus, your promises still prevail. Your purpose still prevails. Your provision is still ahead of us. So we choose, Father, today, this Mother's Day, to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you, church. Thank you.